Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the DC area, and with me as always are my two co-hosts. I'm Hai Shen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and pop culture journalist in DC. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. So as is per usual in life these days, I feel like weeks just feel like months. Mm-hmm. Do you guys yes. feel that? Especially it- this year. 2017 has just felt like a trek up Mount Everest and back down every week. (laughs) Exactly. And it's continuing, just news and everything. Mm -hmm. But a week ago, even though it feels like so long ago, was the biggest night in Hollywood. I know. It's been been 90 years since the Oscars. (laughs) It's been been 84 years. (laughs) Um, No, it actually has only been a week, shockingly enough. But the Oscars happened last Sunday, the 90th Oscars at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood, honoring the best in 2017 film. And let's talk about it. Let's let's start with the ceremony. Yes. What did you guys think of Jimmy Kimmel as the host? I thought he was fine. Yeah, I thought he was fine. The ceremony itself was actually kind of boring to me because I thought that it was kind of indicative of how Hollywood is on the sort of precipice of, you know, the Me Too, Time's Off movement. And it was trying to decide whether it was going to, like, lean all into these uh, sort of more timely, more, like, important messages or to just, like, kind of keep things light and apolitical. And so for that reason, it felt sort of, like a weird, bland mess for the majority of the um, the ceremony. And I think Jimmy Kimmel actually did a really good job of sort of balancing that because he told some good jokes that were like, that poked fun at sort of the sexual, sort of, not poked fun, but kind of jabbed at the sexual assault and sexual harassment um, revelations. But at the same time, he kept things light and did like fun little gimmicks and stunts that were like kind of a rehash of last year's. But I was going to say, I, we could do without another... Uh, celebrities meeting the normal people. The normal. <laughs> yes, completely agreed. Yeah, but like, I think his jokes were fine, and I think like he was kind of a good host for this weird in between moment, but it felt to me very the- disjointed. I liked uh, Seth Myers at the Golden Globes. Like, mm. I thought his, his jabs were more incisive mm-hmm. than Jimmy Kimmel's, and I feel like Jimmy Kimmel's were kind of because like the Golden Globes are very specific. Um, like, I mean, a lot of the nominees are the same people, um, but it's a different award ceremony, but I feel like the Oscars, because they're like a, like a lot of people watch the Oscars, even though everyone's like, it's the lowest rated Oscars ever, even though it's still got 23 million people. Like, don't talk about, don't talk to me about how it's the lowest rated Oscars. 23 million people still watched it. That's still more than like most cable shows get on like a night. So I'm not mad about that. I'm not disappointed or anything. It's still a shit ton of people. Um, and so like, I think he, he, he might've had to be just a little bit more broad than the golden Globes. So like his jokes weren't as incisive, if that makes sense. That's interesting to me because the golden globes have always kind of, uh, walked, tread really lightly when it comes to those sort of issues, because you know, it is more celebrities like the golden globes is known for being a celebrity fueled sort of ceremony where like celebrities get drunk and they network and stuff like that so sometimes like they the hosts often tend to like like treat their guests a little bit lighter Uh, and when uh there are hosts like i think was it ricky gervais 
at yeah. the Globes who like insult, who straight up insulted one. people. <laughs> he was a really controversial host, but like for the most part, I feel like the the Golden Globes hosts have been kind of like a little bit more light handed. But I think this right, was the but, opposite this year, which is really interesting. Yeah, because Seth Meyers had really great jokes, and he had those uh, jokes that Seth can't tell. That he brought his uh, his uh, female uh, writers from the late night show on to tell jokes that he can't tell the punchline for, and then he all, and then but Jimmy Kimmel he kind of had like his his bits and his like fun little pokes at celebrities and Matt Damon and um, you know I I think that I liked like his Harvey Weinstein jokes were good I think they were a little bit better than Seth Meyers but um, I think for the most part like he kind of stayed a, stayed very he he also didn't have a lot of jokes jokes he kind of talked about how like you know we're giving the the um recipients like time to uh talk about any any project or charity or um you know movement they want to talk about but also here's a jet ski for the quickest uh, actually, um uh speech i actually really like that gimmick that was like Me my too. favorite gimmick of the night because it was it was funny for people who watched the oscars like it was like sort of an inside joke like oh the speech has always run too long but then it yeah. added that little fun sort of gimmick uh, at the end especially with helen mirren presenting it like a oh price God, is right uh model it was it was the best and then when the um i think it was the the costume designer for Phantom Thread won that jet ski yeah. award. <laughs> he was just—he looked so happy on it, and Melon Mirren was just like sitting behind him, and he was just beaming. So I think that was my favorite sort of gimmick stunt of the night. Yeah, if yeah. he did that and not the uh, celebrities meeting the normies, I think uh, it would have been—he uh, would have had a little bit higher points in my board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely should have been cut for time, and also because it was just awkward and oh, like yeah. when they try and do that kind of stuff, it never really. Goes I will well. say. The image of Army Hammer holding up a, uh, a a hot dog gun is still pretty classic. Pretty, image, it's pretty like. funny. Same with GDT and Lin Manuel Miranda like mm-hmm. carrying a big sandwich together. Yeah, yeah. It, it it gave us some cute moments, uh, like a little viral moment. Although I will say there was an interesting lack of viral sort of images and memes this year. I think. True. So like every year for the Oscars, I always really look forward to like kind of half watching on Twitter too and seeing what images go viral or what little moments go viral. And this time, one went, went pretty viral. Yeah, it did. But I feel like this year there, there wasn't that much. There were fewer. Normal. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, like my Guillermo tweet went pretty solid, but that's because he's just like an adorable man. And so he's so adorable. He's so sweet. So, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, it's like that whole sort of grappling with are they trying to take themselves more seriously as a ceremony versus, like, is it going to be a usual, fun, little, sticky sh- sort of ceremony like the last years have been? I mean, just like yeah. five years ago, we had that Seth MacFarlane uh, opening model, uh, musical number that was like, we saw your boobs. So that was at the Oscars, right? Yeah, that was at the Oscars. Yeah, he was hosting <laughs> the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, like it's amazing. Ago. That was just like just five years ago, and now it's like, that would not fly today. But Although, then we had the Ellen selfie from like four yeah. years ago. That was that was, was a good fun. one. That's the thing that everyone has been trying to replicate. That's what Jimmy yeah. Jimmy uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel's. I always get confused. Jimmy Kimmel was trying to replicate with the normies sort of thing. Yeah, and, um, and I think when did the Stranger Th- Kids hand out pizza? I think that's at the Globes, right? At the, at the Globes. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because they're they're TV. Yeah, yeah. It was some event, some some award show the stranger kids things were either handing out pizza or girl scout cookies it was in 2016 because it was like right when the show became insanely popular so it, was it, like, it must have been it had to be last year because it was 2017 awards 
because the show came out in 2016. No, it was 2016 because I remember it was like right at the when the show became popular because the show became huge. So in was August. it the Emmys? It might have to be the Emmys. Emmys. That's because the show came it out. Might in been, it might have been the Emmys. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, like, was, like just in time it, for the definite, Oscars it, and like films, film season too. Like film yeah, award it definitely season. was not the Globes because it was like a nicer award ceremony. So I'm pretty sure it was the Emmys because they everyone again trying to replicate Ellen when she ordered pizza mm-hmm. at the Oscars. Yeah. I, then it must have been Stranger Kids, Stranger Things kids handing out Girl Scout cookies, or or snacks, something. But okay. either way, okay, we're, we're digressing. The whole idea, yeah, the whole idea of like hosts now are trying to like do gimmicks to like go viral, and I kind of appreciate that Jimmy Kimmel was a little bit lighter on that because I don't think it's necessary, and I feel like if you're trying too hard, it's not going to go anyway. Like yeah. the reason that the selfie with Ellen went viral is because it felt natural and we hadn't seen it before and it just felt like an ellen thing it felt pretty gener- like genuine you're right it was yeah. like the emmys sorry i just looked it up <laughs> yeah that makes sense because 2016 stranger things season one came out in like july and then the emmys are in september mm-hmm. but yeah so, gimmicks yeah. never work if you try to replicate it too much um although i will say i kind of missed having a musical number even though like after a while we're like oh it's getting really tired to have an opening musical number but there is that cut Lone, uh, Lonely Island um, musical yeah. number that would have been hilarious, and was, it I, been which so I feel funny. like would have really invigorated the show because it was both like sort of timely at the same time as being like really funny and kind of lighthearted. More, but it was it had that Lonely Island stick of being kind of like really had good having good commentary at the same time as being funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll say like I. I'm with you, both of you guys. Like, I liked Jimmy Kimmel as a host for the most part. I mean, he said he wasn't going to comment on Me Too and the Time's Up movement. And then I feel like he might have gotten pressured to do so. Like, they might have said, like, you have to address it. And I actually liked the way he addressed it. And I think, I think it, it would have been bad if he hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, if so he kind of just didn't talk yeah. about it. Actually, yeah, yeah I, liked his o- I liked his opening monologue. I think it was really good, actually. Me too. Um, but now, of course, I'm joining the campaign for my Rudolph and Tiffany Haddish, too. Yes. That's the thing. That's the thing that happens every, every single every, year every is that they year. pair up two people. And, like, I remember Steve Carell and Kristen Wiig came out and everyone was yeah, like, that was the they have to host. They have to host. And then it doesn't happen. And it's the same for white men every every year. Um, but and I, I do think Maya Rudolph and Tiffany Haddish are amazing together. But I feel like they never really take the bait about hosting like the the people or that were like take, taking the the presenters and making them hosts like mm-hmm. i feel like the only time that's ever really happened was tina and amy doing the golden that. globes for a couple of years because i feel like people were just demanding it mm-hmm. but i don't think like i feel like every year we have like the the celebrity duo that we want to host but mm-hmm. i feel like Agreed. it's it doesn't happen. Yeah, but hosting the Oscars is a really thankless job at the same time. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, hosting any of these are thankless. Yeah, they don't, like, they do just, an opening monologue and then they just kind of go like, here are more celebrities. Yeah, like just look at Anne Hathaway and James Franco. Like, they would have... Oh. I felt so bad for Anne Hathaway. That was like Oof. the start of the, ha- the Hathaway same. backlash. Poor, poor Anne Hathaway. She was she trying so hard that. and James Franco just like did not show up. He showed up in drag once and that was the, be- the most effort he did. I'm still angry about him at that in addition to other things i'm angry about of course same (laughs) um but let's talk about some of the categories and the winners so what did you guys think about the winners this year like were you happy overall with the winners were there some that you were a little bit miffed about which were you happy about first i as we've talked as we talked two weeks ago about our oscars preview 
we or three weeks ago, God, I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think we all had an idea of who was going to win, and then we had different people who we wanted to win. And I feel like we had a mixture of both this year, where like the people who were winning the acting awards all year got the off the got the big Oscars, and but everything else was kind of up for grabs. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? No, yeah, it it lined up pretty much really well with my expectations, but also pleasantly surprised me in some of the bigger categories. Uh, I think, yeah, like Best Picture, for example, The Shape of Water went home with the big trophy. And that was the sort of the one that was sort of a toss up because it was between like Shape of Water and um, three billboards for like the most wins throughout awards season but then there was like late sort of dark horses like get out was getting a lot of the awards up the mm-hmm. spirit awards up until then like it was a possible dark horse winner dunkirk in like the bout the anonymous ballots was a favorite as well so that was an interesting toss-up um but shape of water went a- went away with the award and i was so happy about that um but i was really I really hated the backlash that came Same. with it. I did not expect that backlash oh, yeah. at all. Like people Everyone's are calling like, it the oh, safe the fish choice. Fucking movie one? Huh. Like, I don't, stop it. I don't understand. The like, a lot more than that. None of that criticism, criticism existed up until Shape of Water won Best Picture, and Which I did not see like a lot. Yeah, it, it happens a lot, but I just like I didn't understand it because I was like I've never heard this criticism before, and I mean it was definitely just like pure backlash, and the fact that they're calling it a safe movie was ridiculous it's to me. mind-boggling. Yeah. I th- also think it's because people really wanted either Get Out or... No, I think Late it was Bird. Get Out. It was Get Out. Get, I feel yeah. like it was Get Out versus Shape of Water. And what frustrates me about that is that, like, I also would have been very happy if Get Out had won. Oh, yeah. But, like, the idea that we're pitting two diverse movies against one another, Both as if we can only speak have about one... oppression of minorities and... Um, uh, Both of which are directed by people of color. Mm-hmm. And, like, it just baffles me that we have to, like, put down one diverse movie for another. It's, like, it's similar to what ha- what's happening with A Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther right now. The way journalists are, for some reason, writing about them as if they are competitors and not, like, two things to be celebrated. They're both by Disney, which people are like, oh, Black Panther's dominating Wrinkle in Time. Like, no, Disney is still making money. Disney is just lording over all of us so yeah and so just it it baffles me and it's like maybe it's because i love shape of water so much and i love gamble toro but like i i'm very happy jordan peele won for writing and i was very surprised i'm not surprised i was pleasantly happy and surprised that he won because i feel like that like like that the old racist writers were gonna award three billboards because martin mcdonough is a playwright so people are like "Ooh, we should give him the playwright award yeah that's yeah. what i was expecting too i was really pleasantly surprised by that and um because mcdonough was like in the bag for that uh category at least because he didn't have a directing nom so i think that a lot of academy voters were like oh we'll give him this instead but exactly. feel bad. yeah then well, they did that with jordan it. Peele because yeah. I, I think they were voting for shape of water to win mm-hmm. um because i had my i had it down that what I wanted was Get Out to win Best Picture and GDT to win Best Director um, and kind of split the vote there. Ha. I won I won the Oscar pool um, oh, yeah, at our right. watch party. So uh, I think I actually put McDonough down for a screenplay. So I lost the oh, Jordan put, Peele one. But... I put Jordan Peele down for Get Out because I thought, oh, if, I, if, if Screenplay wins, Best Picture usually wins. But that's uh, 
didn't happen this year. Also, mm-hmm. Jordan Peele won writing and uh, Best Picture at the Spirit Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, or directing it. And either way, he won big at the Spirit Awards. So a lot of people thought, like, um, I think the, for the past four years, any any movie that won at the Spirit Awards for Best Picture was winning Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah. But that didn't happen this year. Yeah. I think it goes to show you just how unpredictable this year was mm-hmm. in some regards. Like, acting was fairly safe. I feel like yeah. directing was pretty safe. Um, well, I was honestly surprised that McDonough didn't get a directing nomination. Not that I wanted him fine. to get it, but just like people were expecting it. Yeah, and I don't think people theories should have gotten it more than him. Yeah. So Paul Thomas Anderson just like swooped in with all those Phantom Thread nominations. I mean, but good because Phantom Thread was one of the best films of last oh, year. Oh, oh Phantom Thread, and I'm glad it won for costume design because if it didn't, I would riot because those <laughs> those dresses were. It did. Amazing. It deserved to win. It deserved to win more. I needed Leslie Manville to win so she could like look at Gary Oldman and be like, "Hey, yeah, don't I got this Oscar bitch." <laughs> Don't try to go through me. You will end up on the floor. Oh, God. So I want to just talk a little bit more about Shape of Water before we get to other things. Like, because yeah. mm-hmm. I'm totally with you, HG. Like, I'm so happy it won. Like, it's a genre fairy tale movie. So, like, I love that a genre film won. A film, like, about diversity and about, like, identity. And, like, literally, like, this movie is, like, about an evil white man and, like, all these like a woman and a black woman and a fish and a gay man like getting it over on like this evil white man so i'm like yes and it's the first um best picture winner with a female lead to win in i think 20 years good lord it's been a long time wait did million dollar baby not win oh no it, it was since Is yeah it, it was since, since million, million dollar, dollar baby? baby i'm sorry yeah so okay. so like 11 years 11 years so that's still bad Still a long time. And I'm also just so happy for Guillermo del Toro. I mean, we talked about him a lot on this podcast, but we can never talk about him enough. But, like, he is just one of my favorite people, one of my favorite creators, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just so happy for him because I feel like he really deserves this. And I love that he's, like, in a little club with his buddies, Alfonso Cuaron and Alexander Inuri, too. I think that's really cute that they're all, like... They're all celebrating. They're all, they're, they're, all, all, they're all best the three, director. The three amigos picture. of it's Mexican adorable. directors. It's really it's, cute. Yeah, it's really great. And so I'm just really happy for him. And like, I'm not going to let anyone take this away from me. Yeah. Because I'm the s- critics and the cynics and the haters, like, whatever. I absolutely love The Shape of Waters when I was, in, I was like over the moon. And especially with Guillermo's response and his really beautiful speeches that he did for both Best Director and Best Picture. And it really showed that it really mean a lot, meant a lot to him, uh, and that he's finally viable as a as a director now because he's you know like you said he's been for years making these genre picks that are really close to his heart, but they haven't been deemed as like Oscar worthy by the Academy until now, or um, financially profitable because Pacific Rim for as much of it was a blockbuster didn't make a lot of money in terms of getting it back in in their um uh and like. Uh, and their Leonard. returns and stuff, which is why he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to direct the sequel because he didn't know if he was able to actually get it done. So John Boyega yeah. took that up. And Crimson Peak didn't do as well as we wanted and stuff. So like, yeah, I just I'm I'm glad that this one has kind of bucked those trends and. And I immediately you know. I immediately pre-ordered the movie after the Oscar win. Yeah, on oh, Blu-ray. Was, it comes out I Tuesday. I had ordered it before then. Oh, sure, man. it comes out Tuesday. I wonder if it's gonna have like uh, the Best Picture awards like listed, oh, or like, probably, or if it's it gonna be Golden will. Globes. No, it probably, probably yeah, be, like, I'm sure. Oscar winner. Yeah, 
I'm sure it will. So um, yeah, so I'm I'm really happy with the overall like the like those two big ones, picture and director. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I've, also Jordan Peele writing. I'm very happy with Jordan Peele and James Ivory. Yeah, because um, James Ivory again, Call Me by Your Name is a beautiful film, and again, like you know, like a gay man winning, and you know his experiences and his what he's contributed is really special to me. Um. And I, I think, think the the adaptation is very good. Like the dialogue mm-hmm. in that movie is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely Agreed. agree. Yeah, and the fact that James Ivory was wearing the uh, the shirt of Elio, his like that was really adorable. I was like, what is he wearing? It was it was beautiful. And I think you can pretty order you can order it online now too, which I want. <laughs> Nice. What did you guys think? By a custom uh, artist, so I'm like, oh god, how much is it? <laughs> what did you guys think of the song performances? Actually, the song performances uh, with the "This Is Me" from The Greatest Showman. The performance finally made me realize why they nominated that one and not one of the better songs. Mm-hmm. It's because it's an anthem, and oh, yeah. yes, I remember like exactly. I was watching. I'm like, wow, okay, I can see why because it felt so uplifting and soaring. And I was like, okay, yeah. Now it's like it's getting people up and clapping. It's the uh, "This Is for the Dreamers" uh, yes. song, you know. Exactly, and it's just like. It was incredibly like empowering too, because it, it spoke to like the diversity and everything in, in a sort of generic way. And I was just like, "Oh, oh yeah, look, we have this a is lot of me. That's such us. a generic term." Like, yeah, but it was it was really well done. And um, I have to say, I really loved Gail Garcia Bernal singing at Coco, singing Co- uh, "Remember Me" from Coco. Mm-hmm. Even though, like you know, it was kind of the more emotional version. So then he kind of got upstaged by uh, Miguel immediately afterwards, which was fine. But I was just like screaming the whole time during Gail Garcia Bernal's just yes, like you were. performance. He was, he I, was can I can accurately attest to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually think uh, "Remember Me" might have been for me like maybe not the weakest, but like the most like mixed bag of all the performances. Yeah. But I also am really happy at one because I don't feel like one live performance dictates whether the song is like the best song mm-hmm. and i'm yeah. i wanted remember me to win i'm happy it won it's yeah. so much better than pacing and paul winning i was gonna say I it's not like they vote to... during the ceremony for best exactly. song. i want to remember me to, to win but then i was thinking like during the ser- during the performance i was like this is not the best live performance song because it no. works really well in the context of the movie but if you're yeah. just listening to the song for the first time on stage you're just like what is this cheesy weird song yeah but and, uh, luckily, like Willoughby said, like they voted beforehand and they voted for it in the context of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why it won. It's because it is beautiful and wonderful. And it's not Pasek and Paul. <laughs> My vendetta against them will never end. So do you guys have any snubs that you're... A Michael little... Stolberg. Well, there's that. Yes. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Oh, Dafoe is my number one snub. Yeah, that's my number one. That's my biggest snub. Um, uh, just because... Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg. I'm so upset about Willem Dafoe because, you know, Florida Project is my number one movie of mm-hmm. 2017. And he was so good. And he was amazing. Oh, my God. And, like, I mean, I loved everything about that movie. I'm really upset. He got absolutely no nomination except for Dafoe. So then with him losing, it went away with zero wins as well. Um, it was not the only... Uh, best picture nominee to go away with zero wins of course but defoe oh my god he was just like the the soul crushing heart warming part like soul of that movie like the heart of that movie and i mean uh, if we're gonna go with best picture nominations who didn't go home with anything ladybird oh of course yeah ladybird uh, got nothing i wanted at least i mean I, I know that i kept seeing that uh 
who won Best Actress? Uh, Margot, no, not my say Frances McDormand. <laughs> Frances McDormand, not Margot Martindale. Um, Frances McDormand won, and that was kind of a lock, but I really wanted Saoirse Ronan to win, but I really thought Laurie Metcalf could actually beat out Alice and Janney, because I oh, do I think didn't. that... No, I thought Alice and Janney had that. In, she's had that in the bag. Alice and Janney has had in the bag all yeah. all um, festivals. Even though been I think nice that Lori Metcalf had the sort of had the superior performance, just because she she well she inched her out just because she has a much much more nuanced performance, I think, than Janney. Like Janney was great, but like at the Jan- same time, Janney, yeah, I I have I can't I haven't seen Itania, so I can't attest to her performance, but yeah. I do think that laurie metcalf just gives like such a nuanced complicated performance yeah jenny had yeah. that in the bag though because the oscars you know love the bombastic performances and jenny yeah. was just like peak bombast. and i it, it's it's a frustrating thing see for me leslie manville was my pick for supporting actress mm-hmm. and um, she's very nuanced and very yeah subdued. she's so good i think what's so frustrating for me about the acting categories this year is like Everyone who I expected to win won, so none of it was a surprise, but it was no one who I wanted to win or who I thought deserved to win, but other than actor, like, Gary Oldman should not have won, period. Mm -hmm. It's not a great performance. It's him going, what are some Literally just yelled while wearing a lot of makeup. So I'm glad the movie won makeup, Mm -hmm. but, like, doesn't mean he deserved Oh yeah, yeah. Those no, really I agree. Like it should have gone, gone to Timothee. Timothee was my pick as well. I think Oldman was definitely kind of the typical same. of of award Academy Award winners in that for the best acting nomination they go for the most uh, the the biggest performance, the most like the one with the most gravitas, the most uh, complex. They like to say often ones that go to like historical figures and yeah. such and. Gary Oldman embodied all of that in a performance that was just okay. It wasn't even one of the best performances of his career. He should have won for Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Yeah. Agreed. And so, like, so that one is the one where I'm, like, I'm I'm easiest to, like, slam it. But the frustrating thing about the other three is that, A, I I like all the winners, like, just as actors and as, like, people. And I can't fault any of their performances, like... I wanted Sally Hawkins to win over Frances McDormand, but I'm not going to say Frances McDormand was bad in Three Billboards because she wasn't. That movie was right. bad As because a... of its writing and directing, not because of its cast. Right. And it's Sam like Rockwell. Sam Rockwell is one of my favorite actors. I've been saying he deserves an Oscar for years. I mean, he should have an Oscar for Moon, if anything. But he also was not bad in Three Billboards. It was just the way Martin McDonough wrote that character. Right. And so it's like it's frustrating because it's like... These are all good performers. Who deserve Oscars. Who are, yeah, who, like, you know, are Oscar-worthy. But just, this year was just not... But I just feel like there were other... It's there are other yeah. Isn't that kind of yeah. good, though? Because even the worst performances that we've had this year are not bad. They're It's like True. the pick of the cream of the crop, essentially. Which is kind of amazing, because usually with... Oh, except for like maybe Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah, but Denzel. Yeah, that's very. He's true. the Meryl Streep Street of the best actors. Yeah, I also I heard he was incredible in that film. Yeah, I, mean, I heard I the movie was average, but I've heard he was like really good. Mm-hmm. It's like so. Meryl Streep and Florence Foster Jenkins. I do want to say something really interesting happened this year, in that there have been um, some amazing roles for older actresses and middle-aged actresses, mm-hmm. and like it's amazing that. Frances McDormand, who is uh, has been in her 
working in Hollywood for so long, has gotten an Academy Award at this stage in her career for one of her best performances, I think. I think um, she won for Fargo, too, She right? won for Fargo, too. She did. And it's, like, amazing to me because often you see with um, best actress categories, it's always, like, the ingenue who wins. And that's mm-hmm. why Jennifer Lawrence has, has, for example, been nominated three times in her very short career. And, and it's really interesting to me that we're seeing sort of, like, a sort a surge in more middle-aged um, and older uh, ac- female acting categories and acting roles. Like Leslie Manville was amazing in Phantom Thread and she completely caught me by surprise. Laurie Metcalf. Alice and Janney. And then you're seeing sort of a, the opposite with um, the best actor category. Because, I was just going to say that. Yeah, because like often the best roles for men come later in life because there's more to chew on. But here we have two of the youngest um, best actor nominations in years, which is Daniel Kaluuya and Timothy Chalamet. Or Timothee. Yeah, and Timothy had 20s. a real chance to win and would have been possibly one of the youngest winners in history. And like that's amazing because you know you don't you, you don't usually get male ingenues. It's always the chewy, the older male roles that are more to chew on. And so I think that's a really interesting reversal and I'm really excited about it. More like I agree. More uh meaty roles for women later in life and more meaty roles for also, men younger. Also, you know, the the more diverse nominees probably comes with the fact that the oscars let in like so many people of color and women uh, a couple years ago like they had a huge like new class of academy people um and i think that's helped lessen the oscars so white uh yeah mm-hmm. i can like, only i can only hope that if i they had let these people in a few years ago jennifer lawrence would not have an oscar for silver linings playbook because that still frustrates the hell out of me. And speaking of your point, HT is like Emmanuel Riva should have won the Oscar that year. <laughs> she would have been the oldest winner. Who? Oh, Emmanuel yeah. Riva for a more. Mm-hmm. Oh, she should have won that year. I think. Not Jennifer Lawrence for like screaming for two hours. I haven't seen um, the movie, and I have never heard of her. <laughs> oh, Amor is very good, very hard to watch. I was also um, like but during phenomenal. When that movie came out, I was very much in love with Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> I think everyone Fair. was, yeah. Fair. I, I think Bradley Cooper gave the better performance in that film than Jennifer Lawrence. Um, but I completely agree, HG. And it's, I mean, it's a larger indicative trend of Hollywood of, like, younger women and being more beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And, like, older women not having as many options to choose in their roles. And, yeah, I completely agree. So it was nice to see, like, older women win i'm still sad Saoirse ronan still has no oscar like yeah. it baffles me that like she i mean she should have one for brooklyn she was amazing if brooklyn. anything else i oh, love i bought the movie i'm gonna rewatch it the other day did it's i tell so you that good. i saw brooklyn with my mom and she I did it too yeah and she was talking about how it was actually quite true to that sort of immigrant experience that she um had when coming over to america and just like that feeling of being trapped between two worlds and it really gave me another sort of add an added layer to the movie, and it was it really re- resonated with me because of that. Did she also have a Donald Gleason be- waiting back home? I don't think so. <laughs> At least she's never told me. Ooh. Well, my uncle did actually. Well, not a Donald Gleason, but a <laughs> a girl that my my cousins they wrote a play about it, like his story, oh, where like um, in school back in Vietnam they would uh, have like classes half during the day and half like or in the beginning of the day and at the towards the latter of the day like two classes would be 
sharing the same classroom. So then, like, he and this girl would exchange notes at their desk because they, sh- they were desk mates. And uh, it became a little like, love story. Yeah. Like the, the uh, what's what's that? The, the beach house? The, the lake house? What's that? the lake house yeah so yeah like he shared a desk with the girl who's like in the second half of the day and they would just like start exchanging notes and i don't think he ever saw her again but yeah that is that is kind of romantic though yeah so anyways tangent (laughs) um i also need to just give a shout out like roger deacons finally has an oscar you guys oh we need to talk about the roger deacons oscar win I'm so happy that Roger Deakins finally has an Oscar. He He's waiting been so long. 14 times. 14. 14. Over like a 30-year period of career. Like, and I know, Anya, you do not like Blade Runner 2049, but you have to admit that movie is gorgeously shot. Oh, it is, com- it is so gorgeous, and it's because Roger Deakins is perfect. Oh, yeah. Like, I like the way that he's he was able to take his own style and the, like, original, like, style of the of the first movie and kind of blend the two and give it give it more like credence and like uh epicness you know his movies are always so epically shot like skyfall is i think uh, skyfall skyfall is enhanced, Skyfall's enhanced so much just because of his cinematography i watched quantum of solace the other day it was on tv and i was watching like the opening scene and like the first like 15 minutes and it looks so shitty comparatively and it's also because it's not a good movie but also like between like 2008 when that movie came out and 2012 when skyfall came out like it just looks you know what his filmmaking is it's mature I think that's a word for it. Like it's it's it you know it's very methodical and laid out and incre- and lit compl- incredibly well, and it's not you know the, he he doesn't second guess himself. He doesn't do you know he doesn't half ass things. Like every shot is perfect. It, he whole asses one thing. He whole asses one thing. He half ass two things. He exactly. he really he's like he's the definition of someone who has like perfected his craft. Like mm-hmm. he has dedicated himself to like these perfect shots and like cinematography and like the look and feel of a film and his hard work has like paid off and all his films like all his films are gorgeous and he's like the cinematography consultant for how to train your dragon which is why (laughs) the second beautiful film so beautiful it's so gorgeous and it's because he's like the dude who like helps them out like do the cinematography for the movie Mm -hmm. yeah and like i mean i'm really excited rachel morrison got nominated and i'm i'm mm-hmm. really hoping for a win for her in the near future maybe for black panther yeah fingers crossed yeah um but i'm really happy with her nomination but like i i was rooting for deacon this year and i'm so happy he won because he really is just one of the most talented guys in that field and it's astonishing he's never won before i also want to speak of Denis villeneuve i want bradford young to win a cinematography award one day because I think he does. He he's almost like the second generation of a Roger Deakins. Because his remind me what he's done. Arrival. Oh, and he's yeah. doing Star Wars, and he did. He's and like he did, okay, yes, yes. And he did something yeah, else it. recently. I can't remember, but he is incredible. Like he his style kind of not mimics, but like is very similar in tone to Roger Deakins, which is why I thought Arrival was shot by Roger Deakins at first, um, because he and Denis Villeneuve are you know partners a lot mm-hmm. and it turns out he didn't do that he did sicario that year i think oh no that was also didn't feel enough man he's done so many movies um but yeah so i want i want these all these up-and-comer youngsters to win these uh awards <laughs> uh, roger deakins is the one old white man i'm like 
okay with really winning. happy winning. He was just so yeah. overjoyed during his speech too. Like you could I see know. him being like, "I've waited for this for a long time." I'm He's the Leo DiCaprio of, of old white men cinematographers. Except exactly. he deserves it more. Yeah, except Leo won for his, one of the lesser performances when he should have won yep. for Aviator. Whereas okay. I think Aviator or twenty forty. Yeah, whereas I think Blade Runner 2049 is one of his, like, it's definitely worthy of a cinematography nomination award. It's not yes. something that people just, it's not a, a legacy award. You yeah. Know? I mean, I was kind of astonished how many awards Blade Runner 2049 and other genre movies sort of accumulated and got nominated for this year. I think this year has been, we're starting to see sort of a turning point for genre films because, you know, Shape of Water is technically a genre film, even though people call it safe because it's a fairy tale romance. It's in fact a monster movie. Yeah. And a subverted one at that. So It's a it, monster romance. Yeah. It's a genre movie. Get Out is a genre movie. Logan, a superhero film, got uh, nominated for Best Screenplay, or Adapted Screenplay, I'm sorry. And um, Blade War 2049 got all these accolades. It's a really great year. So I'm wondering, next year, do you guys think that we'll see some more genre films finally get nominated? Like Black I Panther? Really yeah. So. <laughs> you know what I'm hinting at. <laughs> yeah. Black Panther. I really hope so. And, um... I know um, A Wrinkle in Time. I haven't seen it yet. I'm seeing it this afternoon. And I know it's getting like mixed reviews, but I know the one thing people are saying about it is that it's gorgeous. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that something like that can pull out some at least some like visual awards. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I really hope genre starts getting kind of its due. Like, we're not saying every genre film needs to be nominated, but like there are bad ones and like some that don't deserve it. But. Right, like Transformers totally deserves the best picture nomination. Absolutely. Hey guys, do you remember last year when it was being buzzed about that Deadpool might be the first comic book movie to score a best picture nomination? I do remember I that. I remember that. That was a thing that, that people was, thought was going to happen. I thought so it was going to happen, to be honest. Because I, I wanted to see that chaos reign. I did not want to see that happen because I did not think Deadpool was that great of a movie. I'm sorry. Um, no, I agree with it you. Doesn't, it doesn't age super well. It doesn't. Ryan Reynolds is great. He's always great, but that movie is not. He's going to, yeah, it's not, it's, 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 it's a simple right. movie. It was just really funny um, to me because I had a coworker who watches every single uh, Oscar nominated movie and she does not watch superhero movies. She stays away from them with like a vengeance. So she was like, if Deadpool gets nominated, I might see it. And I was like, I hope the first comic book movie you watch is not Deadpool. Is this when you were working at okay. the Examiner mm-hmm. or you say today? No, Examiner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh God, it was really funny. Anyway, I think um, I think Black Panther has a shot. I'm mm-hmm. disappointed Wonder Woman didn't get anything yeah. this year. I really expected like, Wonder Woman to get technical awards. Yeah. Like you would think that even the te- she uh, that movie would get technical awards, but mm-hmm. it didn't. Um, so my question, um, this is not to like, I guess playing sort of devil's advocate is like, what would no, you? That's my wanted- job as a white man. Uh, what would you have wanted to see Wonder Woman get nominated for? Because like I love that film. Mm-hmm so much but i i I think it's fairly flawed and like i'm not sure i would have given it visual effects only because like that third third act is is atrocious Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe for like the sound design and like the minor technical awards because i feel like like transformers gets that shit and suicide squad want to make up design wonder woman point point taken yes i I think Uh, i think wonder woman would have received um like like, I think at its, like, 
in another universe, Gal Gadot might have gotten maybe an Oscar nomination as a performance. Gal Gadot Because I think is... she's amazing in it as, as Wonder Woman. But if... I think for the more realistic Oscar nominations, she prob- uh, Wonder Woman probably would have gotten, like sound design and sound mixing and maybe be- and maybe visual effects for like at least uh the no man's land like those that bullet sequence like the mascara too was beautiful the mascara was beautiful um and just more of more of the ones that like dunkirk gets and stuff. honestly my pipe dream for wonder woman if the best director's category was not stacked was a nomination for patty, for patty jenkins she was my pipe dream nomination. I thought she did phenomenally well with Wonder Woman. I think the, a lot of the success of Wonder Woman rides on her. And she was just, she's just like an astonishing director who does not get her due. So that would have been my pipe dream nomination. I know that like it's not, it wasn't likely because it was just so stacked this year. Well, if Dee Reeves can't get a nomination. Yeah, that's true. I for do agree. Bound, I, like... I think directions on that movie is amazing too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm still a little bit uh, miffed to that. Wonder Woman got, went away with no nominations, but at the same time, I, com- I kind of understand, yeah, what you're saying, visual effects in some regards, aka the entire last third act was not good. But, you know, it was a movie Those that was really... Those Dreamist Lupin apps, though. Oh, God. It was a movie that was really important to me, reason. and I felt like a movie that com- had a different reaction, that had like more of a reaction to than some of the Best Picture nominees, so it was like... I would have liked that, but maybe I think Black Panther taps into a lot of those issues of like current social issues and the current zeitgeist really well, and it's actually a really great film too. It has its own sort of CG problems <laughs> towards the end, but it could get a Best Picture nomination, and it's already getting buzz. It's only a week away from the Oscars, and like the day after the Oscars, actually, it was getting buzz about being the next the next well, Best Picture that to get out too. contender. Hmm? That happened to get out as well. Yeah. And, um, I'm really glad that Get Out held on to its momentum because I mean that's the fear of a lot of people. It's like, oh, you come out earlier in the year, like people are going to forget about you, and like yeah. you don't come out in the middle of awards right, season. Like, but, like, when Wes Anderson debuted uh, Grand Budapest Hotel in like thank March, goodness, and, that movie is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then it got a nomination, and I remember yeah. people were like surprised that that happened, and I was like, no, because it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the same thing with Get Out. So I'm hoping that Black Panther also holds on to that momentum. I think it will and can. Yeah, and so. Like it, fingers crossed. Cause if it Disney would be so wants wonderful. to lo- to invest in that marketing in that campaign, it will because it also depends heavily on the studio and the campaign itself. Because you True. know, Florida Project, I feel like could have actually had legs if A twenty four had invested in it. But you know, A twenty four is a smaller studio, and it doesn't have like a lot of money to sort of throw around. And I think in the end it chose Lady Bird, which is a yeah. great film too. But like if it was a movie like Fox Searchlight, for example, which had both Shape of Water and um oh, what was the other one they was had? Three billboards. Three billboards, yeah. If they had um the heft of Fox Searchlight, then they could have definitely launched a campaign for both of them. And I think Florida Project could have gotten that much deserved tenth spot in Best Picture nomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a good way to wrap up our Oscar nominees, or Oscar not Oscar winners, our right, Oscar guys, conversation. Twenty nineteen. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So, Anya, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? I love. Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials universe. 
Yes! It's been coming up a lot. I know, I know. It's been coming up a lot for me um, because I'm almost done reading his latest book, uh, La Belle Sauvage, uh, which is the first book in the Book of Dust trilogy, which is a prequel trilogy to his Dark Materials. And I love it. Like, I can't get enough of this book and this world. I immediately want to reread the entire His Dark Materials trilogy, even though I have, like, a stack of books that I have not read yet on my nightstand, as HT very well knows. Do it, Anya. Just reread it. Just take a whole weekend and reread all three of them. Oh, because they're so perfect. And I just I love this world and how thematically complex it is and how fascinating it is and original and unique. And I just can't get it. It's such good world building. It's one of my favorite series in terms of like world building and just this really wonderful exploration of morality and themes of faith and authoritarianism and all these things Mm -hmm. everything about philip pullman is perfect um and so i'm really loving this book and this whole universe and now they're developing the tv series which i am tentatively hopeful for because i want a good adaptation for this series and while i'm not the biggest tom hooper fan I think the casting so far has been good, and Lin Manuel Miranda's gonna be in it. I just okay. I just want to say one thing about Lin Manuel Miranda's casting. I think it's hilarious that he's been cast as Lee Scoresby, who's supposed to be yeah. like this grizzled old man, and it's like it's Lin Manuel Miranda instead, who by all means is like kind of baby face still. A puppy. <laughs> no, I agreed. When I when I was like, oh, he got cast, and I was like trying to think like who he would be playing. Mm-hmm. Is he gonna be the Daniel Craig character? No, no that's, that's, the most that's Lord Asriel. He plays the character who Sam Elliott played. Who and Sam Elliott was great as Lee Scorsese. He was. In the movie. He was perfect. That's the frustrating thing about that movie. We were talking about this the other day, but the casting in the movie is perfect. So it's Spot annoying on. that the movie wasted them. Nicole Kidman um, was the White Witch, right? Oh wait, no, no that's Narnia, and that was totally <laughs> Oops. No, um, Nicole Kidman was the religious cast. series. Oh, she was so good as Mrs. Coulter. She's exactly she who was... I imagined Mrs. Coulter to be like. And I really love Daniel Craig as Azrael too. Like I feel like he got that kind of like that gruffness and that darkness and that like complex like ethical by yes yeah. is he the yeah. edmund of the universe i'm just joking i'm just doing chronicles of narnia bits <laughs> uh, those movies came out like the same time will be they're right. completely oh. different even though they have I know, but there's like talking animals in both and there's snow and they both have to deal with religion but on the opposite one is, spectrum one is for christians one's for atheists yes <laughs> the know, just, atheist yeah. one <laughs> I love the atheist one. <laughs> but yeah, so I just love this universe and I'm I'm really hoping the T V series like pulls out a good adaptation. because um, I wanna see it, you know, do well. And we've seen some good adaptations of stories lately and so like between this and Good Omens coming out, I'm just like so many like dreams of mine are happening with like books I love and so I want them think, to like Do you think they'll incorporate the prequel? books that you're reading right oh, now no, definitely not no. i mean like no. the, the the original trilogy is already so strong on itself it would be confusing if you had the prequels. so jam-packed besides the prequels like they're they're um sort of they're kind of related like tangentially related to the story but they don't really have anything to do with the with the cur- with the trilogy as oh, okay is. so it's not like the fall of a republic turning into an empire no it's not like simurillion or anything <laughs> it very much has to do with like the like the world and like some same characters show up mm-hmm. and it very much sets up kind of the conflict in the trilogy at least from what i'm getting from it so far and stuff but like it does feel like it's a separate entity yeah the characters Got are it. so strong too i was a little bit unsure at the beginning of um la belle sauvage i was like i don't really know like these are new characters and like a world that's familiar and i recognize some of these other characters who i love but i'm like okay wait 
I actually really love them and I fell in love same. with them at the end of the book. Oh, same. I love this I just world felt, so much. Same. And Philip Pullman is great. And I've been reading more and it just, all of this just is making me very happy and I really like all of it. And I'm just like, I want to live in books. Me too. I agree with you completely about uh, the Golden Compass, the His Dark Materials trilogy uh, being adapted to TV series. I think that like, I'm a little bit nervous about the scope of the TV series. I think that it's such a rich, dazzling world. And I think the movie actually captured that really well. Like the lush visuals of the movie were amazing. And it was like exactly how I imagined it to be. But then the it completely botched the themes of authoritarianism and like the church because the Catholic Church completely ruined the release of that film. So uh, I'm still upset about that. Like that's one of my big... Um, That's why you got to get England to do it because they broke from the church all those yeah, years ago because we, Henry VIII wanted a divorce. Yeah, we do live in a very uh, Protestant um, nation. So, ah, uh, uh, yes, England, the home of America. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it. I'm worried a little bit to- about Tom Hooper, a little bit about like the TV production value and everything like that. But I. Do like who they cast as Lyra, which is um, Agreed. the actress from Logan, who is really good. And I think actually captures that sort of scrappiness of um, Lyra a little bit better than the actress that they cast for her in the movie, who was a little bit more dainty looking. Dakota Agreed. Richards, I think. Um, so I'm excited about that. I just think the Lin-Manuel Miranda casting is a little funny. Who's <laughs> your fan cast for the polar bear? Um, the Coca-Cola polar bear, obviously. Of course. Yeah, I yeah I, I expected him to be playing someone like I thought he was going to be playing like maybe like Cram or someone, mm. someone in that realm. And then so Lee Scorsese kind of surprised me, but I feel like he can bowl it off because he's Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, he's charming. He's I can see him as a balloonist. Get his voice to play an old man. <laughs> it's fine. They probably reinvent the character. I mean, Gary Oldman got an Oscar for playing an old fat man. So, <laughs> yeah, but Gary Oldman's also old. Because he could, his voice is scraggly like that. Let me know Miranda's going to make it work. He's Alexander Hamilton. Come on. Yes. Alexander Hamilton. All right. Willoughby, what's your really like for this week? I have two. <gasps> I'm, going, I'm going rogue. No. I'm going rogue. I'm putting my foot down. So my first one, because I'm going to do two. My first one is, uh, HC was actually there for this. I got to see Johnny Sun. Uh, author of Everyone's an Alien When You're an Alien 2, um, that fun picture book that Anya and I cried over uh, some months ago. Um, he and also he's also like a Twitter person, like uh, Twitter persona, very famous. He gets a lot of retweets. His jokes are very fun, very clever. He incorporated a lot into his book. Um, he gave a talk at Politics and Prose last night with Linda Holmes of Pop Culture Happy Hour moderating, and he's such a wholesome dude, very fun. Um, very like uh just like very funny and has a lot of great things to say about life and being like hopeful in the in the face of like anxiety and depression and mental health and self-care and there's a and he he gave a a great talk about that um and i hope it was being recorded uh for politics and prose but i hope it was also for uh npr pop culture happy hour so that it eventually is on that, that podcast, because I think what he had to say, I think, resonates with all of us in this time, especially in the past 18 months um, of, like, self-care and, like, tr- you know, treating yourself and, you know, making sure that you're, 
you know, doing well mentally as well as, you know, just, like, but also, like, he had a, a lot of great things to say about Twitter and, like, having the idea of a Twitter persona versus, like, your real persona because, like, that's that's what ended up being the book is that his, like, Twitter persona is, like, the main character, Jomney son instead of Johnny son because mm-hmm. he spells things differently and that's what the book is about, is about being, like, uh, an outsider and coming to see all these things. And he had he made this really great comparison about how the book is structured like a Twitter timeline where you get these updates from these characters along the way. And it's kind of different. It's varied. It's not the same three characters in the same row. So you get, like, interactions with the bear, and then you get interactions with the bees. And then, like, later you'll maybe get a bee interaction first and then the bear. And you you see, like, little minor life updates from all these people. And, like, the way that he... he the, once he made the comparison that it's, like, like a Twitter timeline, it like connected with me all the more. I love the book, but it like it was like, oh, I get it. I get what he's doing now. Um, it sounds like the purest thing. Yeah, it's so good. So Anya, I really hope you get to listen. I hope you know they, me they, too. They show it on pop culture or broadcast it on pop culture happy hour because it's so good. Um, and I know that Linda Holmes has done that in the past, where if they don't have a, a topic, she'll throw up like a talk she did with a book uh, author. Yeah. Um, so that's my first one. My second one is I've been reading a lot of books. <gasps> ah! Wait, okay, I accept the second one because this makes me happy. Me too. Maybe specifically a lot of Star Wars books. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just completed the uh, Star Wars Aftermath trilogy, which is the, um, you know, they threw out the whole expanded universe. So now they're doing their whole, uh, all the books are brand new. They have similar continuities to the expanded universe, but they're brand new stories. And I really love the Aftermath series. It takes place immediately after the Battle of Endor, up to the Battle of Jakku, which ended the Empire for finally, and it tells the story of um, um, this, like, group of rebels who go around snatching up Imperials, and they get on uh, uh, adventures and hijinks, and they have a really great Imperial character named grand admiral ray sloan she's a woman of color and she's in like at the top of her class and she pretty much takes over the empire once the emperor is dead she's kind of the biggest member of the imperial remnant at the time um and she's a very complicated figure fan favorite i've heard um and so i and now i'm on to reading the latest uh iteration of thrawn uh from timothy zahn uh, about kind of the upbringing of Thrawn through the the Imperial C- Academy and his pr- uh, promotions and rises through the ranks to Grand Admiral. He was featured in Star Wars Rebels. He's also he was he did the he was the, one of the main villains of Heir to the Empire in the '90s when those books were kind of the seven, episode seven, eight, and nine that everyone thought we were going to get. Um, and he was kind of like the main bad guy of that. And now they've brought him back from the expanded universe which is now defunct into the canon which i'm really excited for and so the, and i'm 80 pages into the that book and it's great so star wars, hey, star, wars star wars expanded universe and johnny sun those are my really likes yay both book related how exciting yes. makes me happy yeah. all literature um, hold on ht you have to have a book related really like because it continues well, the theme i'm almost done reading uh gabrielle garcia marquez's love in the time of cholera which was coincide with the anniversary i think of or like his birthday this week now a major motion picture Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, I have. I got. I got this version at the uh, at the used bookstore. So it says now amazing <laughs> motion picture, and it has like a, a handwritten note to someone that was obviously a gift for us. So I was like, whoops, someone gave away their <laughs> gift. Um, Oops. I'm a big fan of old books that say now major motion picture because I think you had that with the Princess Bride HT. Yep. Um And then also the Hamilton uh, biography by Ron Chernow says now a, a now a Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's very funny. Well, I'm going to go with my really like being actually more suited towards Willoughby's usual really likes. I was, I've was i been binging all weekend Jessica, Jessica Jones season two, Woo! which I like to an extent. Ooh. I think actually it's a really good follow-up to season one, and it really deals well with issues of complicated women being complicated and doing things that are completely, really flawed and not entirely likable and it's it's dealt a lot with um interesting issues of like dealing with the past and moving on from the past and whether you can but it's also five episodes too long (laughs) it's definitely uh, has the same issues with a lot of marvel netflix shows netflix shows in general in which it's about eight episodes of story stretched out to 13 episodes so i'm at the sort of point where i'm like when is the show over i'm an episode away from being done but i really like it so far and um kristen ritter is so good the villain of the of the um season is really intriguing i kind of like i actually like what they've done with it a lot and i i quite like the overall mystery of this season Uh, i won't spoil it too much but i will say that it deals more with um jessica doing on the ground like um, investigations better than like last season's in. I actually quite like the overall mystery better than season one's because like you already know who Kilgrave is and here there's actual there's an actual mystery there are clues that she follows some that lead to dead ends and it feels like an actual private detective show and I like that a lot. It kind of reminds me of Veronica Mars season one because uh, it has that sort of emotional sort of connection as well that has to do with her lurid past and everything so I quite like the season long arc um, here it just stumbles a li- little bit towards the end when it's trying to sort of waste time. So Jessica As Jones, they do. yeah, Jessica Jones season two gets a thumb up. <laughs> a thumb up. <laughs> a thumb up. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm until the beginning of season two, but I'm excited to keep watching because mm-hmm. I love Jessica Jones as a character. It's still That's the best Marvel show great. on Netflix right now, so Yay. by a mile. All right. Well, that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on the Oscars, His Dark Material, Jessica Jones, Johnny's Son, Star Wars books, all of the above, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud. If you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, that'd be great, too. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.